today on the Bill Kelly Show on AM 900 CHML. One of the more disturbing stories that we have covered in, in a long, long time was the uh, attack, the assault uh, uh, against James Acker. Uh, James is a, a, a patient. He was a, a resident at St. Joseph's Villa on Governor's Road in Dundas, and he was uh, savagely attacked by a, a fellow uh, resident of that uh, facility some time ago. Uh, if you saw the pictures in the in the paper, and we put them up on our website, of course, uh, when we uh, had this conversation with uh, Tammy uh, some time ago, and uh, it's it's frightening, it's disgusting, it's uh, to think that something like this could happen. And we understand that there are concerns, obviously, in, in some facilities, long-term care facilities, etc., and and there have been other incidents, but I don't think any as severe as this, uh, none that we're aware of, anyway. Well, there was, we were told, a provincial investigation into the beating of uh, James Acker at St. Joseph's Villa. Uh, details of that report have come out right now. Uh, the family is not pleased with the report. Uh, my understanding is the administration at St. Joseph's Villa is not pleased with the report. I don't think anybody's pleased with the report. Joining us to talk about this is uh, Tammy Carbino, who is the daughter of uh, Mr. Acker, and uh, we uh, welcome her back to the Bill Kelly Show here on CHML. Tammy, thank you for the time. It's good to have you with us today. Hi, thank you so much for having me again. Well, I wish it was under better circumstances once again. Uh, before we talk about the report itself, how's your dad doing? Um, he's It's touch and go. He's not well. He had um, bleeding in his brain uh, that we found just about a week ago. Um, there's a significant amount of blood in his brain, and he has lost his ability to talk, walk, eat. So they have just um, done a procedure to put a drain in his head to release the blood from his brain. So we're hopeful that he will come back before the attack. He, um, you know, was very high functioning and was able to walk on his own and uh, talk and ate on his own and had a fairly decent quality of life. It sounds as I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it sounds as if he's 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 getting worse, not better. I mean, it was some weeks ago we talked to you, and his 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 condition at that time seemed rather dire. But uh, I don't get the sense there's much improvement. As a matter of fact, the uh, the idea of about blood on the brain is is obviously bad news, and it seems as if there's you know a, a kind of a, a fall back here in his in, a, in his, his recovery. Absolutely, he was recovering really well, and uh, this is obviously a huge setback and we don't know what's going to happen um, since the procedure we're just sort of waiting to see the neurosurgeon has said that we should see a significant improvement within three to four days and if not then to get the family together to decide what we you know whether or not he's going to go into palliative care is uh, is he able to communicate in any way he, since the procedure, he has said a few words. However, he's sleeping a lot. So the neurosurgeon did say that they should have seen more improvement um, than they've seen. So we're just waiting. I mean, he may surprise us. Honestly, I'm surprised that he recovered from the attack at all at 86 years old, especially how incredibly severe the attack was. Um so obviously this is a major set, setback. He's he's had a stroke. He's had a blood vessel burst in the brain, and, you know, there's significant blood, and it. it has affected his the right side of his body, and we're just waiting to see. 
Well, thoughts and prayers are with them. You know that. And, and our CHML community and the greater Hamilton community, obviously, Tammy, uh, hoping that uh, your dad can can pull back. I know he's a fighter. Uh, I know he's overcome some things in the past, but uh, we, we just hope and pray that uh, the things are going to work out for him. Let's uh, Thank you. let's let's talk about the report. Uh, and, and I got to tell you, I, I read the story in the, in the, in the news today. Mm-hmm. I heard the story on CHML here earlier as well. Uh, it, my first impression about this this report, uh, they seem to do everything impossible in their power here to to try to dance around mm-hmm. the, what happened here. Uh, you know, they don't don't mention your dad's name. Uh, they don't talk about the date of the attack. They just say a critical incident that occurred at St. Joseph's Villa. What's what's your read on, on what's what's been presented here? I think that the inspection process is a complete farce, to be honest with you. It's like they're just all pushing paper around. There wasn't a critical incident. My father was almost murdered, and nobody is being held accountable. It's ridiculous. The accountability is... The Ministry of Health and Long-Term Care has given the St. Joseph's Villa six written notices, two voluntary plan of correction, and two, or pardon me, three compliance orders. That's ridiculous. But but to to not specify this incident, to not talk about the details of the incident, uh, T- tells me that, that they're trying to walk away from this and just pretend that this is, I mean, you know, to describe this as a critical incident, uh, I mean, that, 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 that could be a power failure. This was an assault. This is, this is, this is not, this is, to say this is a critical incident is, is, I think, is really trying to sanitize this whole thing. Absolutely. And it's scary for families that are searching for long-term care for their loved ones because you can't really find out what's gone on in homes unless the news has covered it. It's really, really frightening. So where do you go with this? Uh, and, and I don't necessarily mean about legal action. I'm sure that's a discussion you're going to have, and I, I don't want to pry into personal decisions you or your family are going to have to make about this. But, but when you look at this and, and, and the way that this has been handled uh, by the ministry at this stage right now, uh, basically tapping them on the wrist and saying, you know, not, naughty people here, you've got to do this, you have to fix this, you have to fix this. Uh, that they don't seem to be addressing the major issue here, which was that your father uh, was almost killed. Uh, and, and we understand, obviously, about dementia and, and the things that can happen in these facilities, but there are clearly some shortcomings in protocol here. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I met with the Minister of Health a few weeks ago. I told him about some of the challenges within the home. The most frightening thing to me was that since I had toured 10 additional homes, and all of the homes said to me that they couldn't keep the same incident from happening within their facility, and I told the minister that. And What, his, what did he say? His response was that they are going to increase the number of inspections. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's not addressing the fact that there are no safety measures in place from keeping this happening again. And, you know, the the upsetting thing is that um, the CEO from St. Joseph's Villa, he said, well, we do have safety measures in place and we have the security on staff. The security guard that's on staff stands at the front door. He's not in the security unit. And, you know, they have said that they are now going to have the security guard walk the secured unit every hour. And, and that's, that's the answer to this? That's the answer. 
How it's, again, it's not addressing the problem. In my opinion, the legislation is put out, the government is to uphold the legislation, and they are not enforcing it. The ministry says uh, that St. Joseph's Villa uh, needs to implement a plan to protect residents from physical abuse. We'll talk about that. Educate staff on behaviors, which staff I would think would be educated about anyway. That's that's part and parcel, I think, with uh, the qualifications for the job. And follow what they call a code white protocol to respond immediately to incidents of violence. I got a question for you about that, Tammy. How are staff supposed to respond to incidents of violence if they don't have the, the eyes on the people that are, are, are in there, the residents right now? I mean, the, clearly they did respond in a fashion after your dad was assaulted, but there was nobody there to stop it in the first place. Well, there were two PSWs that did witness the attack. Yeah. They had no means of intervening, and they had no way or they didn't initiate code white. So my father's room was down a long hallway. To initiate code white, it's up around the corner at the nurse's station. That, that in itself seems absolutely ridiculous to me. Shouldn't all those nurses have a button, a pager, something that they could initiate code white immediately when there's an issue? That makes sense to me. Yeah, makes sense to me, too. Makes sense to all of us. Anyone that's, you know, looking from the outside in, for some reason, these homes aren't putting plans together and, and are not acting on them. It doesn't make sense. And the government's not enforcing it. How frustrated are you right now? I'm incredibly frustrated. I mean, I'm heartbroken to see what I saw my father go through in the last few days is so unfair and so heartbreaking because my father never had a health issue prior to this attack. He is someone that was living well with dementia. And he was happy and he was content. And since that, he's been in a hospital bed. His quality of life is, he has no quality of life right now. It's terrible. It's tragic. And this is not the way our elders should, this is not the, the way the end of their life should be going. It's ridiculous. They seem invisible. This is, as you've discovered, sadly, uh, because of, of what happened to your dad, this is a systemic problem. Uh, I mean, we, we can talk about the incident itself, and, and, and that's been chronicled, I guess, to a point, so we understand that. But as you found out, this is happening in other facilities, maybe not to the same degree as what happened with your dad, but we've heard stories about sexual assault in some of these facilities, of, of other incidents where there has been physical assaults as well. Uh, the, the ministry has to step up here and talk about not just the protocol and, and instituting code whites, but I think there are staffing issues here. Uh, there's a number of things that I think need to be addressed here, and I, I don't hear that discussion. Absolutely. There definitely needs to be more funding um, in this area. There needs to be an increase in staff. PSWs need to be paid better. They are the frontline workers. They are the ones that are doing all of the work. They're understaffed. To have only two PSWs to 24 to 28 residents within a home on the night shift, it's not enough. And we're obviously seeing this. There were 10,000 cases reported last year in Canada. And you know what? I'll just say those are 10,000 cases that were reported. But there are many cases that go unreported. And I know this because I've had so many families reach out to me and share horrific pictures of their family members that they personally took 
And then, you know, a family member gets attacked or gets hurt or has a fall, uh, you know, that should have been prevented. They go in the hospital, they pass on, and the family becomes exhausted. I know this from personal experience. I have dedicated the last two months to solely focusing on this, and I'm exhausted, but I'm not done, and I'm not going to quit, and I'm going to continue to advocate for change. Well, there has to be a voice to to bring this to it and, and to fight the good fight to try to exact some change out of the government here and the way things are done. You've lived the, this sad nightmare, of course, but as you found out over the last two months, Tammy, there there are other families that are living the same thing too, and they maybe don't have a voice. Maybe there's nobody listening to their story. And and the thing of it is, is you know, when your dad goes into this facility or anybody's loved one goes into any one of these facilities anywhere in the province of Ontario. There's an expectation. I mean, it's a sad time, but you know that they're going to be cared for. And the people that work in these facilities, I think, I think by and large, do an outstanding job. I don't think you're right. I don't think there's enough of them around to, to, to look after them to the degree that they need to be looked after. But there's an expectation when you leave at the end of the evening and they go to bed that they're going to be fine. I mean, that's why they're in that facility. I mean, it's not independent living. There are people there that are supposed to look after them. But clearly, the numbers just don't seem to add up here. And now, every one of those families that have somebody in one of those facilities have to ask themselves, are they going to be okay tonight? I mean, that's a rather chilling thing to to have to have on your mind when you're you're already wondering about how their health care is and the other things that are going to be happening with them as, as they age. Well, and I do think that's a question that every single person that has a loved one in long-term care should be asking. And, you know, as Canadians, we should be coming together. This is a fight for all of us to fight, because if you're not there yet, we will be there one day. And I think a lot of us are in denial and try to avoid the issue and say, I'm never going into long-term care. But guess what? If you get really ill, if you get diagnosed with dementia, the family for the most part, are unable to care for that person. I mean, that was our experience. We were very pressured by our community to place my father into long-term care because he simply wasn't safe in the home. And I really feel like this is something that we all need to rise up together and, you know, network together and, and, and force and, you know, use our voices to try and push and force change. We have to look after the, the, the most vulnerable in our, in our communities. I mean, if, if, you know, and let's go to the other end of, of the, the circle of life here. To, for newborns, yeah. uh, you don't just leave a baby alone and just say, oh, I'm sure it'll be fine. They're just going to lay there and sleep. We don't really have to pay much attention. They understand that, no, those are critical times, and, and when we need to keep eyes on them and make sure that everything is fine and, and that they are monitored through the course of the day and the evening. Why are we not taking that same level of, of care with, with seniors and, and those that are in these facilities? I mean, they are also vulnerable, very vulnerable, as, as you found out, uh, sadly. And, and we have to ask ourselves, are we doing enough as, as a community to look after those people, to care for them, and frankly, to ensure their safety? Well, we absolutely aren't. If a young child was abused, that child is removed from its home to protect it. It's ridiculous that there was even an expectation that my father would return to the villa. 
Of course not. I mean, that's it's just, it's 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 ludicrous to to actually you know even have that conversation. The conversation right now is should be anyway. What can we do to ensure this doesn't happen again? And as you go around and talk to other families and go around and talk to other facilities in other parts of the province, Tammy. It's it's got to be chilling for you to hear. Well, we can't guarantee that won't happen here too. I can't believe what I've discovered about long term care. Um, you know, the lack of policing, the lack of the lack of safety, the lack of support within the homes. It is chilling. It's terrifying. And and I look at it, I, I'm I'm not, I'm not trying to apportion blame here. I mean, that's for others to do. And and I, I I appreciate the the dedication of the staff and 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 the agencies that that supervise these and the, and the administration of the building. I get all that, but when I hear talk about well, you know, we've we've talked about some new plans that we've put in place and you know how to report incidents, booklets, and things like that. They're they're missing the point. That's that's being reactive to things like this happening. I, I want to see something proactive to say, okay, how can we make sure this doesn't happen? Don't tell me how to report it after it happens. Stop it in the first place. I agree. They're not addressing the root of the problem, which, you know, is multi-layered. There's many things that need to be looked at. Of course, the staff-to-resident ratio is one of them. Resident-centered care is another thing. Um, The gentleman who attacked my father, I do not blame him. In fact, my heart goes out to his family because he was not protected either. And it's not fair that he did this. And I'm sure his family is crushed by what happened. He, too, should have been protected. And, you know, in the report, uh, it, it was recognized that he had a specific plan, a, a specific identified care requirements that were not upheld. That's a problem. Tammy, keep fighting the good fight. Uh, we'll stay in touch as this goes on. And, and as I mentioned at the beginning of our conversation, our thoughts and prayers certainly with your dad as he uh, tries to recover from this. And we hope that you uh, do get some good news about that in the next couple of days. Uh, thank you so much for taking some time with us again today. Thank you. Thank you so much. Take care. That's uh, Tammy Carbino, the daughter of uh, the individual, James Acker, who was assaulted and uh, still, as you heard, uh, in very rough physical condition as a result of that beating. Want to hear more? Download the podcast on iTunes or Google Play. And listen to The Bill Kelly Show weekdays from 9 to noon on AM 900 CHML.